Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, our guest on Quitters was Neve Shulman, creator of Catfish, the show on MTV, and originally the documentary that starred him and told his own catfishing story. I thought he was such a different vibe than a lot of our guests. He -hmm. wasn't a a high, super high-energy, fast-talking guy, and yet uh, I was completely engaged the whole time. I really enjoyed him, and... uh, it was really interesting. He's like a serial quitter in the end. That's the bit that I'm going to stew on the most later. I think I saw what I wanted in it, like what I wanted to see in it, but it re- mm-hmm. it was affirming something that I want to believe, which is that the stuff that you should be doing should feel good. It doesn't always, it's not always going to feel good, but like it should yeah. feel good. And if it starts uh-huh. to feel too bad, you should put it away and do the stuff that right. feels good. Professionally, that felt affirming. He was very intentional and thoughtful about how he communicated. While still, I would say, saying a lot. You know, while still give, like, giving it up. Giving up what he believes and all that. So, I, I, I yeah, really enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoyed it, too. I think one of the first people we've ever talked to who didn't really think they had a big quit coming in. And yet, as we got talking about it, he, he has a pattern of mm-hmm. walking away from things um, that he never saw as quitting. I liked him. I liked, I liked him. him too. And here he is, catfish creator and executive producer, Neve Shulman. Hi, Neve. What's up? Hey, Neve. Hi. How you doing? Hey guys. I'm Julie. I'm Chad. Yeah. Nice to nice, meet you. Yeah. Well, nice to meet both of you as well. If you don't mind, we're going to jump uh, jump right in. Julie has a catfishing story to tell of her own. Yeah. I want to ask I you do. a bunch of like kind of philosophical questions about people and hiding. I would love to know first, if we can, is there any question or like bucket of questions that you're just like, this is stale. So we can just like not even mess with it because we don't want to ask you anything stale. You'd be hard pressed to ask me a question about catfish that I haven't been asked many times. Right. That said, part of what I love about making the show is that it is constantly changing because it's a show about real people and real situations that are current. There's always new stuff yeah. and new takes and new scenarios that come up. So I can always kind of come up with something different and, and hopefully insightful <laughs> to say. But you're being very politic. 
No, I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes I, I, like, I just recently did a sort of round of interviews for this new season that's airing and I surprised myself, uh, you know, to coming up with things to say <laughs> to, to questions I've been asked before. Okay. Um, okay. I can kind of roll with whatever you, you've got for me. Okay. All well, right. then I'll start with like the, the on the nose question. You know, the show is called Quitters and you're going into what, what number of season at this point? 10. Well, it's become very abstract. Julie, I don't know how <laughs> they ordered seasons w- with you, uh, but hmm. in our case, in order to save money, MTV orders cycles of the show, right? So they don't call it seasons. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. typically, a, they would order, you know, seasons one and two, they ordered like 12 or 16 episodes. And then they started ordering 20 at a time and they would air them in like two chunks. So it was uh. like season 3A and 3B. And then in t- at the end of 2019, they ordered 100 episodes. Whoa. What? That, that, and so we're, we're right now technically in season 8G because if they call it season nine, that triggers like, Bumps for everybody's fee. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, Doesn't that piss right. you off? <laughs> I, I'm cool because <laughs> in my deal for the 100 episodes, I was, you know, I negotiated accordingly. But for like my brother and, and Henry, who are executive producers, they're annoyed because like they should be getting their yeah. sort of season bumps for production. So you're fees, technically whatever. doing a a 100-episode season, technically, or cycle? Because yes. that's… Yes. Wow. That is nucking futz. That's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty wild. It's, it's, it's rare that… It's a rare order of, of that magnitude, especially these days. And getting ready to, I think, sign on for a similar renewal. Wow. Oh, my so God. Then, well, it's great. Yeah, I mean, that beats me to the punch, which was, would you ever… Do you ever Catfish think about the day that you close the door? and Quit. Catfish. They'll never, never quit catfish. I, I, I can't quit catfish. What, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and why would I? It's, it's, the, it's the best. And so you have no end, mm. of, and there's no end of stories incoming for you. No, I actually think catfish situations is on the rise uh, for any number of reasons, from social isolation and people sort of feeling yeah. more and more insecure and isolated to AI. I mean, now you can create an entire person. It's only getting easier to catfish. I watched the first one and then I got catfished. It really shook me, but I I walked around with a really bad feeling. It was like a fan, like like a fan account kind of. I don't know to this day really what happened, but it was weird and the voice was weird and it was always strange and it left me feeling really creepy. And I probably talked to this kid 10, 8, 10 times. Like on the phone? And I kept on the phone. Sure. <laughs> like Mante Teo. But yeah. it was literally like, hey, hi. Wow. That's scary. I'm Tyler. Scary. And I kept. <sighs> I kept thinking, I'm getting a bad vibe from this. You know, like, they're not asking me for money. They're not asking me to do anything. So what if, so what if I'm being catfished? Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe just suck it up. Are you inured to that at this point? Are you just like, I've heard it all? I I think part of what made me susceptible to getting catfished initially and what what makes me continue to enjoy and making the show and also 
maintain a level of optimism and objectivity is that <laughs> I, I am sort of programmed to be trusting and to assume the best and to give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I don't hold grudges. Like I, my ADHD brain compartmentalizes and in many cases sort of just de- deletes information very easily and quickly. So I, I, you know, I don't hold things against people and I don't really judge people. I just sort of go into every situation with fresh eyes and kind of an open mind. But yeah, obviously I've heard a lot of the same excuses before. So it's, it would be foolish of me at this point to say like, oh, great. You know, he's a model who also DJs and, and travels between Miami and Mallorca. Like, of course that sounds legit. You know, like I, it's a little harder probably to, 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 to pull one over on me at this point. Mallorca. That, is that like, that's one of the ones you're like, no, not real. It's Mallorca. Right. No. What you're saying. Actually, it, it, I don't know where Mallorca came from. That's what I mean though. That just came, that just came out of nowhere. So there's always something different to say, right? It resonates. Uh, when I think about catfishes, like I, I probably was watching the show as soon as it came out. I'm very much, I think of like the catfish generation. If I think about it, just like if I just pull the answer and just don't even try to overthink it, I'm like, why do, why do people do this? I'm guessing they just do it because they want to connect with somebody and they don't feel like worthy of connection in their existing state. Like however they actually are, they feel like they have a better chance if they hide b- behind some sort of other right facade is that is that generally what's going on there is that the phenomenon that is one of i think many versions of how fake catfish profiles originate you know i do think we forget that a lot of people are f- sort of just geographically isolated now even though you know most of of at least america where we film the show is is pretty densely populated you know and you're never that far from an Olive Garden or uh, a Hooters or, you know, a bowling alley. For a lot of people who live in small towns, you know, if there's a bar scene, it's one or two bars. And if they're not the type of person who's comfortable in social situations or feels as though they don't, they're not interested in meeting the type of people that they might meet in those places, there's not a lot of options, you know, we're so lucky we can go to art shows and performances and and galleries and outdoor music concerts. I mean, there's so much happening in our lives typically that right. we, you know we we have access to, and a lot of people don't have that. And so, especially if you if you identify uh, with a certain type of community, there may not be anybody you share that interest and passion with near you. And so, you go on the internet, and either you do it as yourself. Or if you're insecure or uncomfortable, perhaps expressing your identity or sort of your truth, you do it with a little bit of a veil or in some cases a completely different you know, mask. I find, at least in, in the relationships that we tend to address on the show, it's very rarely the intention of the person, or, or in this case, the catfish, to trick someone into a relationship and lead them on and... and you know, mess with them. It isn't? Then what do they want? What Chad was saying is like, they make the profile because they're isolated, they're insecure, they're unhappy, they're exploring their sexuality, looking to connect with people that 
they may not feel would be interested in connecting with them uh, as themselves. And so they just make this profile to sort of see what it feels like. Maybe they're transgender and they want to feel what it's like to talk to someone else, you know, as as the gender they identify as, but they're not ready to do that in real life. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of want to see, well, what's it like to feel like this and, and interact in this way? And then what happens is a friendship sort of begins and, and a conversation ensues. And because in many cases, the catfish is being, despite their lies, very open and vulnerable in a way that they probably haven't been with anyone in the past because they finally feel like they met someone who they can be themselves with, who is safe because they live far away. They don't know who they really are. So it's sort of like therapy for, for, for them. They open up and they become very emotionally vulnerable and raw and f- often form these connections that they don't have in their real life with someone who cares about them and listens to them and asks them questions and shares interests. And they feel this surge of excitement and, and affection and flirtation that they've never felt. And before they know it, they're deep into this relationship and they realize, how can I tell this person now that I've been lying to them without running the risk of losing them. Huh. Enter my show. Do you worry that because of the popularity of your show, some people do it in the hopes of getting on the show? You know, I, it's not impossible. There's a, it's a real stretch for someone to think, oh, I'm going to set up this whole relationship either with a knowing part person or victim or unknowingly. And then, apply to the show and somehow make it on there. I don't think that's happened. However, we have had people who did sort of fake relationships or they they sort of twisted some of their relationship so that they could use the show to meet. Like mm-hmm. in one case we had these two really sweet girls who had who had genuinely met online and one lived in New York, one lived in California, they'd never met, but they had video chatted, so they knew that they were who they said they were, they just didn't have the means to finally meet. So they sort of fibbed and Ah. said that they'd never met and never video chatted. And and we ended up figuring it out about halfway through the episode that they had, in fact, known each other and decided that it was so sweet and innocent that we didn't care and we wanted them to meet anyway. And so we just helped bring them together for the first time, which was really satisfying just because it was a happy ending. But for the most part, you know, it's pretty tough, I think, to 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 pull one over on the show. But we have had a few close calls. And how common is it for someone to face uh, someone that they've been falling in love with on the internet, find that it's not actually who they thought it was, but then, I don't know, but then like give in to the feeling that, well, even though they're, I don't know, a man Mm. or a farmer or someone who doesn't like overalls or whatever, like whatever they are, I fell in love with them. And so I'm still left with that feeling. So I got to ride that out. Like how common is it for people to just say, you know what, fuck it. They're not who I thought they were, but I love them. I'm going to stick with them. It's not common, (laughs) but it has happened. But it has happened. (laughs) I think most notably uh, and I think, I don't know if it was season one or season two, but we had an incredible episode where this really sweet girl who, I'm not, I think she was adopted, but now I'm, I, it's a long time ago, so my memory's a little fuzzy. She was part of a family with a bunch of other kids because she was 
mixed or, or she was black and her siblings were all white. And she had met this guy online and they talked for a while. Anyway, we went to meet this guy and it turned out to be a transitioning transgender man. So I don't know. I don't remember if at the time they they identified as a man yet, but they've since transitioned and are now ma- a male. And the girl was so in love, you just felt such a connection to this person that she, she didn't care. Um, and despite the fact that they looked completely different than the pictures they had sent, she still felt a, a really genuine connection. And, and, you know, their relationship didn't last, but they gave it a try, which I thought was really sweet. And then more recently, we had an episode where a girl and a guy were talking and the guy had told her pretty much the truth, except his pictures were of a vastly different person. He had sent pictures of a white guy. It turned out he was black, but she didn't care. And now they're married and they have a kid. Uh, so it, it has happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> but you can tell those stories on one hand. I mean, you can count right. them on yes. one hand. There's not, yes. not a ton of them. Mostly right. of the it's- 200 it's, plus episodes that we've done, it's, it's been a couple. Yeah, like you you knew him. You are really at ground zero of like identity, you know? You're really like in the heart of whatever is identity. Do you, can you see like the future of identity? Do you feel like you can tell us something about where this is going? Like where pe- how people see them? Was that a hmm? like nobody's asked me that yet? Yeah, no, that's a that's a new one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we win, Chad. Chad for the we win. We did it. We did it. We got there together. <laughs> the f- the future of identity. I mean, gosh. Weirdly, I think part of the answer to that is that despite thousands of years of human social evolution, I think people are just as, if not more, vulnerable to the same age old wants and desires that. We've always been the need for people to feel seen and feel affection and to sort of search for and and long for love, I think is still so much a core foundational part of what makes us humans. Perhaps one of the most unique things about us as a mammal, um, while other mammals obviously do in some cases mate for life, very few share what can be kind of recognized as any kind of heartbreak or, you know, or crush or all of these strange, complicated emotional feelings that, that we as humans feel, which I think is such a big part of our identity. I would say the future of human identity is just becoming more complicated and confusing because now you have your physical identity, you have your digital identity, mm. you have sort of your perceived identity, what, what you imagine people think of you. And it's becoming very mixed up. And I, I don't know how younger people are are grappling with it. You know, we're we're all you know sort of I don't know how old you are um Chad but I turned 35. Oh, he's young. On, uh, he's young. Right. I'm okay. old. Sunday or something. Well, right. When they asked me uh, how can people still get catfished? Uh you know, the show's been on for so long, everyone's got iPhones or or smartphones like but the reality is that try to imagine being an 18-year-old person right now figuring out who you are. I mean, it was hard enough for us before the internet just in our school, in our local small community of people who we saw every day. I mean, to, to now have to compare yourself and, and be exposed to so many different ideas and sexualities and even just religions and, and belief systems. I mean, there's so much to try to filter through now to figure out who you are. So 
my best answer is probably just that I think the future of the human identity is uh, unknown. <laughs> okay. Can I extrapolate this out a little? Because I was thinking about all movies and, and TV shows that have asked this same question. Her. Her with Joaquin yeah. Phoenix, right? And even um, a Blade Runner at the end when he realizes mm-hmm. she's uh, an android, but he doesn't care. He's going to run off with her. <laughs> but what Neve was saying is that we've been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years of human existence. In the case of heterosexual attraction with an eye towards having sex and, and increasing the population and, and propagating our right. species, right? There's also been homosexual love since the dawn of time too. But it, by and large, there was there's a desire to procreate. If you are in love with something that you cannot procreate with, how does that inform the future of humans? Are we talking about becoming like just digital remnants? Because there isn't, without that end goal, uh, maybe it's maybe it's a function of the earth being overpopulated. So the, the natural, it, we were selected right. into these groups where we go, we're not actually going to meet and breed, even if we could in real life. We're going to keep it on the, on the cerebral tip and not actually continue to populate the earth, even though that has been our biological drive since the dawn of time. That's a very dark... And <laughs> I am dismal super projection dark. of the future, but I like it. I mean, I, look, I'm I, I can go even darker if you want. I mean, I I, I like the idea of human beings sort of, <laughs> I don't know, eliminating ourselves. Um, <laughs> right. We've done so much damage, and and the Earth will 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 eventually purge us anyway, or will right. sort of naturally happen, and right. it'll reset. And when you zoom out on the timeline of the universe, it will be a completely insignificant nothing. Right. And, and in a million or two, ten, a billion years, the earth will have an entirely new, incredible species of beings and whatever. But at the same time, I was recently at a performance uh, of New York City Ballet. I, I go to the, I go, I like dance and I see a lot of dance. And a friend of mine premiered a new piece at, at um, New York City Ballet performed by the orchestra to Aaron Copeland music. And I just was sitting there looking at this incredible expression of movement and color and music. And I couldn't help but smile and think, wow, what an incredible, fucked up, but insanely beautiful thing that we choose to make art. It serves no practical function. And yet- we we make this incredible thing to express feeling and and emote and i don't know i just was sort of reminded of the beauty of of human beings for a moment in a sort of fleeting ephemeral uh you know burst of of joy i love that and i think that it's not even in my darkness of saying there's going to be a self-selecting group that that decides not to procreate by keeping their relationships strictly digital or non-physical, there's always going to be procreation. There's always going to be And and the reality now is that we don't even, we're we're already at the point where we don't even need physical procreation anymore. We can create children. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we still need a female body to uh, incubate, but like, now, not for much you know, longer, though. I bet they'll right, figure that's what that I mean. out. Probably soon. not for much longer, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But we got real fucking dark. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's that. I mean, it's interesting that you capture that as darkness. Like when I think about the world without people, it looks like Fern Gully. Like it looks like everything is lush and beautiful and alive. And like, yeah, there's just no or just very few, I would say, people on it, like trampling over it and making Brooklyn out of it. So I don't know. I, I don't think that's that dark. I think there's something no, kind I don't of mean, like, I, light look, about I'm, that. I'm, I am all about that. I love the idea that in, I don't know how many hundreds of years, but not too many, there'll oh. be a lot less humans and the earth will start recovering from our, uh, you know, <laughs> terrible… Abuse. Um, <laughs> Yeah, tenure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I could see a future with, you know, I also I've been watching The Last of Us. So, uh, mm. yes. I've been having, I've been having like wild doomsday dreams. Have you guys had any like, like I had a crazy dream about could I somehow turn my apartment in New York City into some, and sort of like a protected, sustainable doomsday bunker of some kind? <laughs> and the answer is no. What floor <laughs> are you on? Not. Well, I'm on the top. Penthouse. So, Right. How so I've many got the, floors? I've is got it? a roof, right? So I could like grow. You could grow stuff. Potentially, right. But you'd have to go up how many flights 13. of stairs? Okay, 13 flights of stairs, no running water. No, no I know. Well, you no, have to collect no. rainwater on the roof. I mean, look, I, I, I went through it all. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Neve, you've so considered mostly, the options. Mostly, I was trying to think how I could secure it so that zombies couldn't get up to us. But they climb on each other's heads, you know? Um, Neve, so you described, I thought, very well, like the case for someone who is completely isolated and needs to find connection. And so they go through the internet. I think in your journey over the last decade plus, plus plus, like you, you're you're famous now. So you're like the opposite of that person, but maybe you might've found yourself back where they are on the spectrum. You, you live in a dense city. You're a noble person. You're on TV. You're behind TV, like all that. But do you ever still have the same issue of like, I just need to feel like I can connect with somebody. Like, are you still able to empathize with the guests? Do you still get, do you still understand like the thing that they're going through in a real way? I think so. I mean, I, yeah, for sure. I mean, I still get sad when I go on the internet and see uh, friends of mine hanging out and uh, I didn't get invited. Somebody made a sort of new sort of youtube YouTube show, late night talk show in New York City and like asked me to be a guest on it. So I was like, sure, cool. Did the interview. And then, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a, a yin-yang in this case because like, I did get asked to do something cool and I did it. But then I just saw online that they had like the premiere party and I was, didn't get invited. And so mm. I, I just felt like, what? <laughs> uh, so that's not a great example. But I didn't, I don't have a lot of friends and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I like, I still get so excited when I, when anybody invites me to anything. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, mm. like, I don't know. I, I think because I've been filming for so many years now and I'm always on the road and my schedule is unpredictable that like, maybe after a few years of friends trying to invite me to stuff and me never being able to go, they just sort of stopped inviting me. Dropped off, um, right. Some people say New York City is like the loneliest place in the world, right? Because yeah. there's so many people and so much happening. And if you're not doing it, if you're not in it, if you're not part of it, it can feel super sad. <laughs> so I have to make a, I have to really 
work, I think, as hard as anyone to plan stuff, to to find things to do, to make time to hang out with friends. And if I, and then having spent a lot of time in a lot of those small sort of suburbs outside of mid-sized cities, I know how tough it is. I mean, I, I know. I get there and I, it's 7.30, 8 o'clock and I want to get something to eat. And, you know, there's probably not an actual sort of local restaurant. If, if there is, you're lucky and it probably closes at 8, 8.30 anyway. And then you've got to right. see if anybody wants to go out, but it's, it could be a drive. I think car culture in this country has destroyed our sort of the social fabric of America. Wow. Um, yeah. Because if you can't just walk around and bump into mm-hmm. someone and, and pop into right. a place and then say, hey, let's go down. Like that's the, the town square is, right. in my opinion, what is so sorely missing from 90% of America's population. The, the local gathering spot where paths cross and, and ideas are exchanged. And, and unfortunately, right. it's been replaced by the internet, which it has its benefits but allows for totally faceless, no um, repercussion interaction, right? So anyone can just Mm. say whatever the heck they want Mm -hmm. as offensive or wrong or opinionated as it is and and not have to worry about the effects that it's going to have on that group of people. Whereas in your town square, you can't just walk up to someone. You could, but you probably wouldn't just walk up to someone and say something awful because you're going to see them tomorrow. That has allowed for a wild transformation in human behavior that in many ways is not great. Um, yeah. Lack of accountability is right. Sorry, that's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. No accountability. Going back to New York being a, a potentially the loneliest place on earth. Here <laughs> you are. You're, you're successful. They're ordering hundreds of episodes at a chunk. That's um, crazy. Why wouldn't you just quit, quit Manhattan? Find that small town with a, that actually still has the good vibe. It doesn't live in Manhattan. I think about it almost every day. Oh, sorry, New York. Um, quit New York, not Manhattan. Right. I love I well I grew up in Manhattan so I mean I'm a I'm a local. Okay. Oh wow. Um, I I think why I love New York City is because it does have the town environment. So my town is Williamsburg now, you know, and and right. I make the same walk with my kids to school. I pass the same shops. We you know, there's a there's a great little vegan spot on Grand Street called the Garden Carver. And when we were trying to get rid of a piano that had been given to us by our neighbor who was moving out, I offered it to them and I rolled it down the street. Now it sits there. And whenever we go by, I bring my kid in and he bangs on it. Like that. I love that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Right. So I, I get that sort of local small town feeling in my neighborhood. And that's what's so fun about New York City is there are so many neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. all walkable and it's all you know, I people often ask me about the difference, having lived in LA, the difference, you know, between New York and LA, which one's better, which I think is a hilarious question because anybody who's lived in New York knows the answer. But <laughs> Los Angeles, <laughs> I, I, my, the best sort of analogy I've come up with is that Los Angeles <laughs> is like a lake, big, beautiful lake, right? Lovely. Plenty of things you can do. You can you know, we can water ski, you can swim, you can sit on a dock and lay in the sun, like lots of nice things you can do. But it's the same every day. Yeah. New York City is a raging river. Mm-hmm. The second yeah. you step out your door, 
you don't know where the hell it's going to take you. You're right. going to bump into right. shit. You're going to wash up on the side. I mean, there's like anything can happen at any given moment. And that's so exciting and such so thrilling. And I love that. And that's why I think I still live here because though I love getting out of the city, it calls me back. You know, it's that thrill. It's right. that, it's, it's, it's a drug to, to sort of bring it back to catfish. I think similarly, the, the internet provides, for people who don't live in New York City, the internet provides that insane unpredictability, right? You can log on and, and mm. throw yourself into this total unknown and meet people from the other side of the world who you shouldn't meet, who don't need you in their lives, but yet here you are interacting and talking and falling in love or getting into an argument. Like it's wild and unpredictable and, I, and it's exciting. Um, and that's where a lot of people turn for that thrill. That's why I think catfishing continues to happen and why internet relationships aren't going away. And fortunately for me, why I still have a job that I love to do. And so catfish has been in your life for, it's going, it'll be close to 15 years. Um, yeah. I'm curious about like your sense of identity outside of the show, you know, but whether other people projected onto you, whether it's stuff that you've held on to, like how have you been able to just uh, be Neve uh, aside from catfish? <laughs> Another, Another one, one Chad. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so that, that is something that I have definitely been grappling with specifically kind of the last few years. Obviously, when the documentary Catfish came out, I, you know, no one knew who I was. I had, you know, I wasn't in or pursuing entertainment or celebrity of any kind. It was never on my to-do list to host a television show. So for people to sort of be introduced to me through that experience and, and the representation of my experience via the documentary was wild because all of a sudden people saw me and they thought, oh, you're the guy that got catfish. And, and more fortunately, you're the guy that handled that situation really well and, and showed mm -hmm. that poor woman, you know, uh, empathy and, you know, we're, we're, we're really kind. And I was, and I'm very proud of the way I acted. But if, if you were to ask some other people who had had experiences with me in my life around the same time, they might give you a very different review of, of my yeah. behavior. You know, I'm not always that person. It was an incredible gift that I was sort of thrust to, onto the world as that version of myself because that's what then people expected of me, which sort of in turn forced me to really deliver uh, and, and make my identity of who I was the person that they were already expecting me to be. And so I spent years, you know, really kind of leaning into that and, and owning it and working hard at being better or the best version of myself that I could. And then I kind of started to feel like, well, I'm not just this guy. I don't, I love that people roll down their car windows as they drive by and yell catfish. But like, it would be nice if I could be something else. Um, you know, and then mm -hmm. Julie, I'm sure you can relate. Like you say, well, I've got this great thing. Like it's a one in a million. It's, it's right. you know, what are the chances I'll ever have something like this again. I'll just, let me just right. own it. It's just, this is just me. I'm so lucky I even get to have a thing that's me that people love. Mm -hmm. I'll just, you know, ride this wave as long as I can. Um, and so, you know, I kind of was teeter-tottering kind of on that. And then I, I think slowly got more and more confident as I got older. And then when I met my wife and, and 
we, we had our child and got married and like people started to see me now as like a husband and dad. That felt really good. I was all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm, as I'm actually becoming more of a person with a bigger identity, like it, it is sort of permeating out into my existence with, within my fans and sort of public identity. And then I've sort of naturally let things happen. So I started running and decided I wanted to, I love running and, and, and that I'm, I'm, I guess I'm decent at it enough that like, I, I thought I could make it part of my, I hate it, the uh, brand, if whatever you want to call it, or I prefer the word identity. And so I just sort of started putting that out there and talking to people about it and set a goal to sort of try and see if I couldn't get a running sponsor as, as a, you and? know, sort of, and now I'm represented by Under Armour. Oh, he's totally, you know, I'm like yeah, an Under Armour. Yeah. yeah. Baltimore um, strong. Under Armour, oh, yeah. Baltimore you, company. That where from? That's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. Nice. Going back to feeling the positivity of human beings making art. And that moment when you were at the Lincoln Center, was it? So yeah. Watching your friend at the ballet. And listening to Aaron Copeland and seeing this new piece, is your artistic side being met by doing uh, the the creative work of Catfish? Or do you still wish that you had a different artistic outlet, which leads me to the second sure. part, which is dance, which, which which is in your past and and uh, right. and and is a solid quit. So yeah, I mean, look, I have huge regrets that I didn't more seriously pursue dance. I, you know, I danced, you know, in, in sort of middle school with this troupe, National Dance Institute, which was really fun, but it was very kind of casual, um, you know, not formal dance training. And, and then I danced a little bit in high school and a little in college, but like, you know, I knew that the amount of commitment and dedication I would need to pursue it would have required a desire so great. I clearly knew I didn't have it, right? Like, there are so many dancers who are struggling, who, who, who want it right. more than anything. And I knew I didn't want that, but it was still right. something that, that was solidly a part of my young, uh, identity. And then I got the chance to, to do dancing with the stars a few years ago uh-huh. and had the absolute best three months of my life. I mean, I got to taste what it was like to dance every day, perform, mm-hmm every week and get paid to do that. And it was amazing. And I, and I really, at that moment was like, man, I, God, it would have been so awesome if I had done this. That said, it wasn't for me. If it had been, I would have probably pursued it. But artistically, yes, Catfish doesn't, does not check all the boxes for me. It does in a lot of other ways in terms of my sort of moral obligation. I, I feel very good about the work that we do on the show. And I think that it, it provides a very needed uh, and and true moral compass for mm-hmm. a lot of people who watch it um, and starts really good conversations. I mean, I have some of the best moments for me over the last 10 years have been one in particular when like a dad walked up to me at the airport once on my way somewhere and said, hey, I, you know, don't want to bother you, but I just wanted to tell you my... 15-year-old daughter and I watched an episode of your show recently and it started a conversation between us that 
ended up being this incredibly important, beautiful exchange. And I just wanted to say thank you for sort of providing us with that space. Mm. And that was, you know, obviously stuck with me now years later. So I'm really proud uh, of the work that I do. And I, and I don't think I could find, I don't, I'd be hard pressed to find a job that I like more than this. You know, I love the people I work with. I like that I'm helping people and I feel just good about it. However, I do feel like there is a hole still to fill in my, you know, expression as a human. And I, coincidentally, I just started Mm. taking saxophone lessons. um, What? Because I love music and I've always wanted to be able to express myself through music. And I, my friend is a saxophone player and I just sort of said, hey, like, can I, take lessons? (laughs) And he said, sure. So I just started doing that. So I'm on week two, you know, look out for Neve on the tenor sax. (laughs) When you say that there's like a hole uh, that you, of expression or something, that's interesting that you chose, you chose a genre, you chose an instrument. Like, do you feel like you kind of, is it to, to, I guess to fill that hole, do you have to like, experiment with different things to figure out what fills it? Or do you feel like you have a vision of like, this thing is going to make it feel right? Yeah, no. Well, in this case, it was kind of an accident. My, I had recently become friendly with this really gifted young sax player who, you, his name is Augie Bello. I found him on social media because he's, he, whatever, he makes these great videos and, and I sort of just reached out and I was like, look, man, I'm, you know, I see you live in New York. I love your stuff like let's be friends and we started hanging out he came over the other night had his saxophone with him played a little bit for my kids and then he he let my daughter try it because she was interested and then i was interested and i was like can i try and i did and it i don't you know came naturally enough to me that he said wow neve is this is this the first time you ever played like most people don't get a good sound out of the instrument when they first try it and i said yeah this is you know, I've never done this before. And he said, wow, that's really good. And I was like, it, maybe I'm supposed to play the saxophone. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. this is like the world telling me it's time to, to finally pursue my interest in music. What about so going back to dance? Why not, why not the original love? I think about it a lot. I, sh- I, I should start taking dance classes again, just, just going once in a while to a, a jazz or a hip hop class because I do love it. I do feel like I, I peaked with Dancing with the Stars. Like, I, 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 I'd be hard-pressed mm-hmm. to find a situation that could be better than that. You know, like, <laughs> I think in terms yeah. of living out my dreams to have been a dancer, like, that was it, you know? Well, so because I, I it, do came feel, with, it came with a paycheck and a schedule, which is what you'd never usually get as a dancer. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, not just that, but, like, the level of intensity, right? Like, 12 weeks uh-huh. dancing every day, you yeah. know, fully committed, like, with the costumes and the, you know, the, the, I mean, it was, it was so epic. Right. So I, you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to get that again. You know, I would definitely consider going into musical theater. Like if there was an opportunity to do a show or, or I've talked to um, my friend, Maria Kurowski is the creative director of the New Jersey ballet. Um, And I asked her if she would consider having me as like a guest artist for mm. like the Nutcracker to play one of the sort of more dramatic roles, you know, like uh, <laughs> yeah. Dr- Drosselmeyer, you know that character, like the the uncle. The guy, that comes is he the and, guy at the the uncle who brings the the Nutcracker? Who brings the Nutcracker? Right. Right. 
He doesn't have yeah. any dancing parts. He just sort of not he, really. He, he right. just he just parades about. <laughs> right, exactly. He does some good parading. Yeah. So I'm definitely still but, interested in all of that. Yeah. yeah. There was a time when you had to make a choice about dance and where you were going to go, and I just want to ask about that moment because again, name oh, the, of the show is the Quitters. The yeah. quit. The there was there was a moment where you had to make a decision. Was it leaving school? Was it leaving a college? Was it about to go to college? Where was the moment where, when there was like, was it a summer vacation? When you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again no, I th- after this. You know, I this. think I, I weirdly, I, I haven't thought about it much or ever really, but I think there was kind of a moment. I, I had been dancing with NDI for, I don't know, I can't remember exact, four years maybe. Uh, and that was yeah. typically like one, on the weekends, on uh, Saturdays, you'd rehearse. And then we'd have performances and I had, sort of risen in the ranks of the, the organization to their sort of top uh-huh. tier, which is called Celebration, which is sort of the equivalent of like a principal dancer at a ballet company. Right. And we'd actually performed at the White House for Clinton. We performed at the Kennedy Center Honors when the founder of the company, Jacques D'Amboise, was honored with the Kennedy Center Honor. We, we flew to Switzerland and we performed up at, you know, like we, I w- it was like a pretty cool thing. And I remember vaguely one Saturday... I think we were we were rehearsing, and I don't know if I had just sort of not remembered or 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 paid attention enough to learn some sequence of something. And I remember getting some sort of you know negative feedback, if you will, from from the the teacher being like, you know, Neve, hey, like, hey, come on, get with it. Like, we need to learn this or something. And and I think I just sort of had this moment. Where I was like, ugh, this is this is this is getting annoying. Like. It's not fun anymore. Typically in my past, what I find is a pattern for me having to do with quitting is that my natural abilities will take me so far mm-hmm. in order to kind of get good at something. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I reach the, the sort of barrier that keeps me from getting better easily, I'll quit. And I think I'd sort of reached that point and just felt like I don't want it enough. Like I clearly I'm, I'm not trying as as much as I would need to. And I don't feel like trying more. Um, and so I just sort of walked away. How old were you? I don't know exactly. My guess is I was probably like 14. Okay, so fairly 15. young. Fa- fairly yeah. young, but you'd achieved right. a lot with this. And yet you say that this had continued to be a pattern because I'm seeing you running and playing saxophone. And do you see yourself kind of getting to like your natural... Limit and then going, eh, this isn't fun anymore. Which is, by the yeah. way, totally valid. Like, no, right. you don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to be a world right. touring dancer. I've had a number of things that I'd pursued and then reached a certain level. I played the violin for a couple of years. And, you know, and then after I kind of plateaued at that first place where, you know, a year or two will get you and realize that in order to, get better, I'd have to really invest more time and and effort. I kind of thought, well, I don't think I want to do that. The first sort of life-changing or pattern-changing thing that I did was was making this show, Catfish. So like, I've never done anything this long, you know, consistently with success. Now, even though making Catfish hasn't become more difficult for me, might argue it's become easier, it's still... I think definitely reset a little bit of my brain chemistry to to allow me to 
consistently keep doing the same thing over and over again, find ways to enjoy it, find ways to make it different, find ways to improve it. And, and that, I think, helped a lot. And then six years ago, I, I kind of accidentally started running because I was invited by uh, a, a, a charity to run the New York City Marathon for their team. And yeah, I'd, I'd never done any long distance running ever. Uh, and I thought, okay, let's, let's give this a try. And ran my first marathon, having set a very ambitious goal, I think sort of foolishly thinking I could do it with very little effort or work. Didn't, obviously, achieve that goal. But then somehow was inspired to try harder the next year. Still didn't achieve that goal. Uh, and then for whatever reason, decided like, I really want to put in the work and, and huh. do this. And I, and I don't know what it was about running. Um, and maybe it was just simply the fact that I had decided to, I had set a goal that I weirdly felt passionate about achieving. And I did. It took me two more times trying because the, the following year I got injured. And then I had to get more serious about like taking care of myself because if I was going to train hard enough to achieve the goal, I actually had to also then, you know, like stretch and do physical therapy and all that. Um, but I did. And I, I, I did the thing, right? And there was definitely a cu- little bit of a come down after that where I was like, okay, now what? You know, like, do I set a faster goal? Uh, do I care anymore about going fast? And since then, I've just enjoyed running and I still like doing it. Now I've got this Under Armour sponsorship and, and it's not so much about achieving this goal. It's just about having something that I'm committed to that I like doing. But it is hard for me when I'm not visibly getting better at something mm. to stay interested in it. You said you had to do a chemical rewiring to continue, like to continue with it down a long path. What I, what I think I was hearing was in order to not quit it, in order to keep it going, you kind of had to like let yourself do that. It, 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 like it wasn't getting harder and it wasn't… Right. Well, right. And I also had to… I, I think part of what contributes to, to my quitting is just getting bored, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. it, if something doesn't interest me at a certain level after a period of time, I just get bored. Or if I can't achieve… The, the level of success that I'm hopeful to quickly enough, I kind of just feel like, well, this, this, this will get boring. You know, like putting in all this hard work is not as fun as, as the imagined um, result. I'm sort of coming up with this sort of storyline about you as far as, as when you were younger, you would reach sort of this natural quit point for you in a, in a lot of different things when it was no yeah. longer interesting. And yet, running is the first thing you've taken up after catfish, right? Right. So after this, like what Chad just pointed out, after this kind of like long-term brain sort of reset because you have to, you're married, you've got kids, your options are always a little different for quitting once you've got people (laughs) uh, relying on you, depending on the manner of the quit. Reflecting back to you, that's an enormous change that you then took up this thing later, not late in life, but as an adult, you didn't do it as well as you thought you were going to, and then doubled down on your commitment to it, and then doubled down again. That is like the best form of growth you could possibly have. Right. I think running for me has become this very important constant. Um, and, and until recently, uh, which is perhaps even more interesting, it was entirely selfish. I mean, there was zero upside outside of my own right. desire to achieve this goal. Like, you know, 
it wasn't, if anything, it was, you know, it had downsides, right? I mean, physically, it can be hard on you uh, in terms of my marriage and having young children, you know, going out for three or four runs every week is also not always the best thing to be doing. Like, so there were a lot of reasons to not be doing it. And yet somehow I just knew that, like, I need this. I, I need a thing that's mine that I'm doing. I could go on the same run week after week and see and feel my body getting faster, which is such a crazy, cool mm. phenomenon. Um, and that was really exciting for me because it, it had a very sort of trackable progress. I'm not currently training aggressively. I'm just sort of running for these health and mental health and physical health benefits. And because I've got this great partner in Under Armour and I can, they're going to send me to these events. And, but now I've I've sort of removed a little bit of the quit feeling of like, do I really want to do this? Like, what, what am I getting out of it? And now I think the sponsorship sort of refreshed my excitement because there are these events they want to send me to. I've got this ability now to kind of use running to give back. So I, I got Under Armour to send uh, like, f- you know, 400 pairs of sneakers to the dance organization that I used to dance with when I was a kid for all oh, those wow. kids. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm such an idiot. But like, hmm. have you guys heard of ultra marathons? Yes, uh, of course. So, of course. Uh, the Born to Run. I hope you read right. the book. No. But- You've never read Born to Run? No, I've Neve, I read. I will send it to you I, right now. Talk, it, what I mean when I talk about running or something? We're talking about running. No, this is Born to Run. It's about the history of ultra marathons and oh. it's the history of running and why well, so we, Under Armour, uh, humans oh, are born to run. Are you a runner? I I was a runner for a long time. I was training for a marathon and got really badly injured. And um, because I have a pacemaker, which is from a long time ago. I can't get an MRI. So they, no, I can't get an MRI. So I I tore the, they believe by process of elimination. I was like, well, how did you diagnose this shit old school? Right. And they said, well, a process of elimination, you tore the labrum in your hip. You have to stay off of it. And now they said, basically you can run, you can still run. What's more important to you, running like as a casual runner for the rest of your life or doing a marathon? Because you might have to pick one or the other because we don't know what's going on in your freaking hip. And it could happen again. And that was was six weeks on crutches. So uh, I chose the former and I just turned down the intensity and was like, it's such a thing that means so much to me for my mental health. I, I can't give it up completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, marathons are really dumb. And the only thing dumber than that is an ultra marathon. <laughs> but anyway, so Under so Armour sponsors... So you're going to do one. <laughs> well, so Under Armour sponsors this thing called the Trans Rockies yeah. Ultra Marathon. Yep. You know about it? Yeah. Anyway. and I, So I was like, oh, that that's a new challenge. Like, I just need to be challenged. I just I just feel like I need... I constantly need things to be cha- to, to change in order to keep me engaged. And, and I've realized that I need to set... A goal. I need to have something to work towards, and so I've 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 decided that even though I curse running marathons after I run them, having the New York City Marathon as my annual check-in forces me to say, you know what? Okay, got to keep running. And now that I have these other dates throughout the year through Under Armour, I'm like, okay, you know what? These are great. The more of these I have, the more it'll keep me keep things fresh. It'll I'll go to different places. It'll bring it'll you know. I, 
I just need variety. I need, I need in order to stay active and, and interested in something, I need it to be changing, which is why despite Catfish being relatively unchanged for 10 years, it works because every episode is so different than the last. So even though the, right. the system in place is never changes, the people and the places and the circumstances do. And so that keeps it, keeps me able to like re-engage every time. Do Why you know you wanna... what this is, Chad? It's insane. They run 100 miles. <laughs> well, well, there's different. So, so there's, there's a three-day version of it and there's a six-day version of it. The, the uh-huh. six-day is like, I think, 120 combined miles. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. the three-day is like 50. Yeah, basically you're running between like 15 and 26 miles a day for however many days you choose to do it. But it's not, it's not running like a marathon is. It's a, it's a real no. mix of hike. It's like straight up hiking. Huh. So sometimes you're just like walking. It's not like I'm out there yeah. all day, every day, right. like sprinting, you know? Um, but it's still... And some people do them crazy. straight through and run, in, and run in the night as well, which is yeah, no, some, absolutely yeah. insane. <laughs> and there's some people that do them in Death Valley where you have to run oh, yeah. on the stripes in the road oh. where your shoes will melt. A hundred miles. No well, I can I can vouch way. that Julie is fast. Uh, <laughs> I've gone on Not one hike fast. with her, and she hikes very quickly. And I returned with a knee injury. Well, well I'm always <laughs> looking for running buddies in LA. Julie, are you in LA? I'm in LA. Yeah, I'm right, now well, just we'll a casual runner, though. I'm well, a yeah, very okay. low key runner now. We'll have to go for a casual run. <laughs> okay, love it. I love it, and I'm going to send you this book, Born to Run, because it is magnificent and changed my relationship to running. I had really run out of steam too and was getting knee injuries. And this book changed everything. It's And it's a great read. I mean, it's a page turner with all this cool. science jammed in there too. So explaining why it is that we are uniquely as a species born to run. No other species is. It, cheetahs, they're only born to sprint. Horses, right. they, all, they all poop out. We can actually go low and slow for as we can hunt an antelope if huh. and exhaust it. And there's mm-hmm. it's a physiological uh, a result of evolution that they go through, and it's fucking awesome. Cool, it made me All really right, excited. Great. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure to have you. Well, um, yeah, very Will, nice. uh, pleasure to have you, Neve. Thank you for sharing with us. You were um, <laughs> such an interesting guy who. I, I got a lot to say. We'll say it about you behind your back. And they're all good. <laughs> um, so yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> 